0: and their
2: essential
0: love of justice.
2: Welcome to the Kudzu Vine and happy Easter everyone. Join me as always.
0: Welcome Katherine Smith.
3: Greetings from Atlanta.
0: And welcome Tim Shiflett. Good evening, sir.
2: Yes, um. Kind of a dreary Easter. Uh, a little bit of rain this morning, a lot of rain now, where we're recording from, because I, I looked at the weather map, Kath, Catherine. I think it's raining there with you too, correct? Yep. <laughs> yep, but it's only going to get worse. Uh, said,
3: as my grandmother always said, there's always a little bit of sunshine and a little bit of, at least a little bit of rain on Easter. Yes. And, and, we had and some sunshine there's a
2: little morning. bit together. Yeah, a little bit this morning, and then, um, of course, you know, thanking all those folks in Louisiana, Alabama, and uh, I see, I'm sorry, Louisiana, Mississippi so far, hopefully not Alabama, and hopefully not Georgia for these tornadoes coming through, just really uh, just um, insult to injury after we've got the coronavirus and I saw Monroe, Louisiana, so many houses have been knocked down, and you're thinking now those people have to shelter together, uh, because they just can't stay outside So, um, you know, it's just one bad problem exacerbating another uh, But let's go ahead We're not weather people So we'll um, get on to politics And we're not medical doctors either But we are going to talk about some coronavirus uh, Here in about um, 18 minutes into the show or 20 minutes into the show, about 18 minutes from now Matthew Dowd's going to join us So are real excited to have him back For I believe the third time uh, but we're going to start off with coronavirus, and it looks like that you know Donald Trump is again pushing to owe country back. And I think we all would like to go back to a lot of our you know daily activities. A lot of people would like to go back to work. I mean, I think we all agree we want to. It's just medically that doesn't seem safe right yet. It doesn't seem like you can pick a certain date on the calendar. You can just guesstimate. Best so um, Catherine does it seem premature To even start talking about you know May 1st or whatever date
3: Yeah I don't think we can pick a date I think the virus is Going to pick that date like they've all said Um, You know I think we have to wait To see um, If we're at the apex in New York And what the You know as those numbers go Down what the timing is For that and then look at all The other hot spots uh, you know new orleans i guess dallas uh, or is it houston there's a few around the country you know i just i think it's uh very premature to pick a date i don't think there's ever a time when we can pick a date we're gonna have to look at it um you know as as time goes by and let the scientists predict or or um reach conclusions about when it will be safe And I think it's going to require some kind of testing, you know, broad testing for um, everyone to feel comfortable to go back to work and go back to, you know, retail and restaurants. Um, I, I just I don't see how we can pick a date. I just don't understand how that can happen.
2: Yeah, Catherine, I think you're right about testing. That seems to be the trick. And the thing I don't understand is if Donald if you're Donald Trump and your one of your major motivations is seemingly, you know, get the economy back functioning, then it seems like you would just be pounding, you know, the desk at everybody on your panel, all your people, get us more tests. I mean, that's what you'd be pushing for. But he seems reluctant
0: to test. Um, Tim, any ideas why that is? You know, that's a good question. I'm sitting here looking right now at the number of uh, estimated tests that have been done. Um, I'm looking at uh, real clear politics. There's like a little over 2.8 million tests that have been done in a country of 327 million people. So we're talking like eight-tenths of one percent of the population has been tested. And most experts pretty much agree that for however many tests have been done, there's probably ten times that many unconfirmed cases. (laughs) And, uh, no, I don't understand why they're not pounding the desk to get it done, and I don't know why a country like South Korea – with the sixth of our population can get it done at a higher rate numerically than we're getting it done. I I, I don't understand that at all, David. I I don't have a good a good answer for you other than incompetence in leadership. Yeah, I mean, I mean did,
2: and, and I don't think it's anything.
0: Go ahead, Catherine.
3: I did hear. Um... Was it? I guess it was the head of the FDA on TV this morning, and he was talking about how important it is to make sure that whatever tests we use, whether it's the antibody test or the just you know uh, negative or positive test, um, that they're accurate. And apparently, there's some question about the accuracy of some of the tests that are being used around the world. And and he, I thought he made a good point that if we don't have um, reliable tests then we uh, risk uh, another outbreak, right? If, if we have um, false negatives and people go back to work and back to restaurants and back to everything, then we risk that. But it seems to me that if that's the case, then you work really hard to make sure the tests are accurate and get them out there. I think that um, one of the reasons our president is, is um, less inclined to want to test is that a is expensive it's going to cost a lot of money and B it takes time and he doesn't want uh, much more time to pass before he opens up the whatever this whatever it means to open up the country again. I don't know what that means.
2: Yeah, but the only thing with time is you know the old proverb about a tree uh, the best time to plant a tree was 50 years ago the second best time is today. I mean, right, if you
3: exactly. oh, yeah. the
2: testing started, you're going to save weeks. At some point, it may not be next week mm. that you'll save the week, but you'll save the I week don't, in the first week of June. I, I, um,
0: I don't, I don't, I don't think they're going to wait. I don't. You, you, you've seen the headlines of this governor and that governor threatening to totally reopen their state, and Trump screaming, "Let's do it now!" by um, you know, he said April 30th as the deadline for the shelter in placing. I, I don't know uh, sh- sheltering-in-place. Right. I, I don't know if he will, you know, back that up again, like he had to back off the Easter thing. But at some point, these guys' political brains are going to take over, and they're going to start thinking about their electability instead. Of the, 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 They're going to put the health of the people on the back burner That's the debate that's going to be raging right now uh, and, and personally, I, I think Trump is willing to take a gamble and roll the dice
2: Don't you? Well, it's a pretty big gamble in, in that yeah. his election it seems to be hanging the balance on this issue More so than the other. Now, let's talk about this. I I read something uh, back at the almost the first week of the total shutdown. J.D. Vance, uh, you know, a Republican, uh, not an elected official, but a Republican, you know, that grew up in Ohio, obviously, you know, um, somebody with more of their thinking. He made a good point. He said, talking about the economy, he said, you know, we're so tied into the national economy, I'm sorry, international economy, that even if we, you know, opened everything back up and, and wanted to do it one way, and Europe and China and Japan and all these countries across the globe ran it with a much more closed system, and their economy stayed stagnant. Could our economy even become robust again with all those other nations doing it this way? A second point is just because you said, hey, we're opening everything back up, do you really think – even 50% of the people would just go back to business as usual. Um, I heard Nate Silver, uh, Nate Silver in a podcast just this past week or two talking about driving from Kansas City back to, I believe, somewhere in the New York area uh, early on before West Virginia had any cases and before West Virginia had any kind of um, shutdowns and our quarantines. And he said, you know, when you went to the gas station, they said, you know, wash your hands. Uh, When you pump your gas, do it this way. I mean, they were kind of functioning like a state that had some quarantines. That's kind of the marketplace. So, Catherine, um, let's just say, you know, the governor of Texas, Greg Abbott and others just say, hey, we're back to business as usual. Do you think the local Chili's is going to open up and, you know, pack out tables like a Friday night?
3: Not if they have attorneys, because their attorneys are going to tell them not to, because it's so, there's so much risk. You bring your employees back, and then they get sick, and one of them dies, and then you've got – and if you're a, a, a big chain, you're going to get a class action suit. I, I, I think it's uh, – that's, that's something I've been thinking about a lot, actually, is what does this mean to open the government? Or open the economy or open the country or whatever he however he says it, because i mean i was um I was sent home uh to work remotely before anyone else my our i mean you know we're a medical care provider, so we have a medical director who looked at all the data and said nobody should be in the office unless they're absolutely essential, and so everybody was sent home to work remotely. And I don't think they're going to let us come back until they're very comfortable, because I don't think our insurance company will let them. I mean, I think there's a lot of there's a lot of risk in uh, bringing people back to work when there's not enough assurance from testing or from any scientific evidence that it's safe. So that's um, I mean I don't I I just don't see what he thinks is going to happen. You know maybe. You know, the guy who makes the pillows in Minnesota who's a huge Trump supporter, maybe he'll open his factory back up if it's closed. And maybe some of the Trump supporters will and maybe some companies who are desperate and don't care about their employees will, but I think there's a lot of people, like I said, if they have attorneys, who will tell them not to.
2: Yeah, you think a pillow guy would be pro quarantine. Um, you know, more time at home. Hey, maybe, maybe everybody wants to buy an extra pillow since they're spending more time in bed. Um, but who knows? Now, Tim, let's talk about the hard political part of this. Let's say you open up too quick, and the um, instead of having this, you know, natural mountain that rises and falls, you have a mountain range where it rises and falls, and then rises back, and then people say that's because you reopen too soon. What would the political fallout be? I guess first and foremost for Donald Trump, and then you would go down to some other governors, but a lot of them will have two more years in office before they face the voters.
0: Um, but let's, you know, strictly talk about the presidency. Well, uh, in, in the case of the president, he just can't order uh, a uniform reopening of. The economy all the way across the country because the governors are the ones that's going to have a say so about that. What you may wind up with is that second scenario that you described in a mountain range with valleys and peaks. You would have, uh, say, the state of Texas who's threatening to open back up, uh, open up, and then you go to New Mexico next door, which is shut down. You go um, up to Utah, which may open up. Then you go over to Nevada and California, which may be shut down. And if it goes like that, I I don't see how we can have this surge that Trump envisions this massive surge coming forward. And secondly, even in the states that open up, uh, polls are showing. That upwards of 80 percent of the American people right now favor uh, some sort of sheltering in place, social distancing, something. A lot of people are just going to hesitate to get back out there. A lot of these small businesses that like, just did not survive, and some bigger businesses, like rhymes, you know, going out of business, shutting the doors. Um, so so I, I think A recovery is going to be Slower Than a lot of people hope I think it's going to be painful And I think the recovery Is going to be kind of reminiscent Of the recovery after the Great recession Only it may be even A little bit more Uneven And, and rugged for people overall So I, I, I you know I don't know how much we we got to turn then to how much of this are the American people going to lay at the feet of the President? How much of this are they going to say is his fault? That's the political question yet to answer. Well, Tim to be fair,
2: Ryan's probably had some underlying pre-existing
0: conditions that were hurting them
2: <laughs> before they caught the corona. Yeah, but they've been I, I there I've seen their parking forever. lot in Rome, so. They've been there forever. Uh, <laughs> they have, but, but it, it, that, that, that's kind of, like, and I like Piccadilly Cafeteria, but, you know, Piccadilly's demographics are not on the upswing. Uh, I think Ryan's hitting even faster. Now, Catherine, I'm going to give you two scenarios, and I'm going to say these are the only two scenarios that can happen, and you're going to tell me which one do you think would hurt Donald Trump and, I guess, help him more. He opens back up the economy, and the economy starts doing well. The stock market does well, you know, hiring industries, whatever. You know, there's some markers that won't come back, but but enough come back. But people, there is a higher um, rate of death, a, a higher rate of contraction, or he keeps everything closed. He listens to Dr. Fauci and the medical professionals, and. Um, the economy just still is in the doldrums, no doubt about it. But everybody says, you know, starting on day whatever, you really did the right thing medically. Which one of those scenarios is better and worse for his reelection chances?
3: Oh, that is a really good question. Um, I'd say scenario two is probably better for his reelection. Um just because there's less death, and I think uh, the more deaths we have, the more that death toll goes up. I think the harder it is on him. Um, but I, I also think that that's going to be a really tough um, scenario for him to embrace.
2: Yeah, because he is so business minded. Tim, same question.
0: Uh. Boy, <laughs> is there a good scenario? It, it is my answer. It, it, is there a good scenario? Or, or it, you know, I'm I'm not trying. Gosh, I don't want to be the defender of Donald Trump, but but is he in a a, a genuine damned if you do and damned if you don't position? It, I, I mean, it is is the road so fraught with peril, no matter what? Uh, I, I've I've got to say the choice has got to be Hell you know. But that's just me. I certainly don't think like this guy. Uh, but you know there, there, there's there's going to be there's going to be some tough times e- either way this goes, don't you think? I
2: think y'all are both right. I think health's the right choice. Not so much just even that you know people may say, look, I'd rather have. You know, people alive in my family that are raised or or a job that I can replace on the road. I think it's the fact that the process would be he listened to advisors, people talked to him, he assimilated information, and then made a decision based on facts and science. I don't think he'll do that either. But if he did that, he'd be going against his brand (laughs) in a positive way. He'd be like, hey – Maybe you can teach an old dog new tricks. Um, you know, that might be the thought there for some voters. I mean,
0: Here's and, and honestly, I, really I think, think it. there's not many undecided voters. Tim? Here's what I really think. I think he's going to. I think he's getting panicky. No, I really do. I, I think that article I sent you the other day is right. I think he's getting panicky. I think he's chomping at the bit to say, all right, let's, let's, uh, let's roll the dice. I, I really do. Yeah,
2: I, I think you can tell he, he thought the economy's so strong, you know, it's these good numbers, and that's going to save me. And then the one thing that could trip him up was the, the the Mueller report. And then it ended up not having quite the teeth that a lot of people thought. He thought, oh, I'm I'm good there. And then things still didn't look that great. But he's like, you know, if Bernie Sanders is the nominee, that's mm-hmm. going to be my saving grace because I'm going to get mm-hmm. run against the socialist. And then Mm -hmm. that didn't happen. So, like, all these things are not falling in place. But something did fall in place for us. We got our guest on for, I believe, the third time. Welcome back to the Kudzu Vine, Matthew Dowd.
1: Hey, great to be here. Thanks for having me. Oh, happy Easter to you. Thank you. You too. Blessed Easter. Yes.
2: Well, the first question uh, I wanted to ask you, of course, I I love to have you on as much as I can, but one reason I said I got to have you on, I sent you this email. I listened to so many books um, lately, they interviewed for you. They interviewed for it. um, One about the Electoral College, Ezra Klein's book about why we're so divided, and Bill Bill, uh, Bishop's book a few years back about siloing called The Big Sort. And in that book, um, you made the most interesting analogy for the two thousand four election uh, about america being like a restaurant um, and you said that at that time the American electorate or at least the i guess the persuadable part of it was
1: like applebee's um, Where did you come up with that you know
2: fascinating
0: analogy
1: well it was um thank you it was from and obviously we wrote a, a, a me and the co-authors wrote a book on that in the aftermath about um how things are decided um i think it's still very valid many points we made were very valid even today 15 years later but um it was in search of talking to people and ron fournier was one of the co-authors and i and doug sosnick and finding people that were sort of swing voters or independents and one thing we noticed when we would go around that the areas that seem to have those which are mainly suburban or exurban areas, there seemed to be an Applebee's, and the, in the Applebee's seemed to be sort of that group of families um, that resonated with the idea of, of swing voters. So it became the sort of arc of, of discovering what people thought and uh, where they were at that time in politics. Yes. Well, let me ask you this
2: question. It got me to thinking, and of course, restaurants are so on our mind because that's one of the industries that's been so hard hit. But I kind of thought of this question before the coronavirus shut everything down. Um, today in 2020, does Applebee still explain those voters, or are there a new set of restaurants to explain our politics?
1: Well, the funny thing is, IHOP, the International House of Pancakes, bought Applebee, so. Applebee's is now owned by IHOP, which which is kind of funny because it's kind of a reflection of the consolidation of things in America. Um, I thought about this, and it's interesting today. um, You obviously couldn't go to a restaurant to discover those people. You'd have to go to their homes where they're gathering more often, um, which I think is an interesting take of of where people are and what their expectation will be in November, what are they going to want in a leader, What are are they going to need? I don't know if there's a place. Um, The only thing I can think, and I've talked to a lot of people, is maybe not a restaurant, but maybe a place like Home Depot or Lowe's or something like that, where there's people uh, that don't have a lot of money. They're trying to go for home repairs or getting something to fix their plumbing or getting some tile or or whatever are they doing. So um, I, I don't know if there's a place, but I think if there is a place, it's much more like Today, much more like a, a, a Home Depot or a Lowe's. Okay, interesting answer. Well, I'm going to ask you one more
2: question. It's uh, a little bit different, uh, but it's related to the times we're living in and the coronavirus. Um, today is Easter, um, the holiest day on the Christian calendar. And most, the overwhelming number of churches, um, you know, did remote services. There were some plans for some drive-in services, but not in-person services except for a few uh, churches here and there, including, I believe, one in Louisiana, maybe one still in Tampa. Um, and, of course, you know, in our, in our First Amendment, we had the freedom of assembly and the freedom of religion. But, of course, we want to stay safe at the same time. Um, how do you kind of mesh those two things in, in a way where you're respecting the First Amendment, but you're still keeping people safe, and what's kind of the political impact of that?
1: Well, as you all know, and I think we've had this conversation before, I'm I mean I've 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 gone to church every week of my life. I grew up Catholic, I was an altar boy, and then I served uh served as an altar server in, in college and I now go to an interdenominational church in the small town I live in called Chapel on the Hills, which I had actually started a weekly, once a week prayer centering prayer group, which over a month ago it's only about eight or ten of us um, we postponed it we haven't been back in about five weeks we've gone it was only as I say only eight or ten of us there hasn't been service at, at our church in a month here I mean I view it and i will talk about this from a Christian standpoint but it could it could be a standpoint from anybody is I, I think one one has to look at the greater the greater calling uh, in this moment not I, I, I think and i I can't interpret what Jesus Christ would have said today or uh, what any other prophet might say in this moment. But I think they would say the most compassionate, loving, kind, most divine thing to do is do those actions uh, that will not hurt others, um, which is obviously the great message of the of the gospels. Um So I think the most loving thing is to not gather. That doesn't mean every church teaches, every Christian church teaches that God is everywhere, God is in all of us. God's presence exists regardless of where we are. Um, And so I think if if you really want to ask yourself what's the greatest act of love, it's to actually not endanger another human being. And so I don't understand um, why uh, pastors or ministers would want to gather people in a group that that could endanger people's lives. At some point we're going to have to do it and and risk that at some point it's going to come. Um, We're not at that point today, but – so that's my view on it. I don't think there's a – when you have a huge health concern, I don't think there's a First Amendment. I don't believe there's a First Amendment issue with this about large gatherings of people and and trying to postpone them for a while. It doesn't – they're not telling people not to practice their faith. They're just telling them not to practice them in a large gathering of people. So I don't think it has an effect in that way. There's probably a political effect in that the people – uh, it seems the people that are pushing to to have those gatherings now in the midst of this have a tendency to be, I think, more pro-Trump, and the people that are saying no, 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 most vociferously, without having some empathy about why somebody might do that, which I have great empathy for. In this, are much more the anti-Trump people, and so I, I think it just is another one of these lines that is going to cause more solidify the divisions in our country at this moment. That's what, that's my fear. I, 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 had thought maybe this moment could have unified us. I was hoping, hopeful. Um, but it seems like every day that goes forward, there's a great, and I tweeted this out the other day, and you saw this, I tweeted this out the other day that there are two things can be true simultaneously. We can have compassion for the people that say, let's reopen the, let's reopen the country because a lot of people are suffering, especially people that live pay- paycheck to paycheck. So you can have compassion for that. You can also have compassion for the people that are worried about people's health and worries about people's lives. And so I, it's unfortunate that we somehow can't hold those two things um, in our heads simultaneously and then try to figure out the best, most effective balanced policy decision as we move through this. But today it, it, it seems there's a group, there's a, and I won't, there's a, minority group of folks that say open it up now no matter what and then there's a minority group of folks say keep it closed indefinitely um and i think most americans are sort of in the in the middle of i want to do what's right i want to keep healthy but i also know we're going to have to open up our economy and we're going to have to do it in a way um that is respectful of of people's health concerns Yes, well, very well
2: developed answer. I'm going to pass this over to Catherine uh, for questions, and then to Tim. Catherine.
3: Hey, Matthew. Thanks so much for being on today. I miss I missed my, you on. Uh, Stephanopoulos this morning, so I'm glad to to uh,
1: talk to you. My, my <laughs> um, pleasure. We're in sort of a we're in sort of a disarray in, in that because we can't gather as a roundtable right now. So oh yeah yeah uh, yeah we're trying to fi- um, we're trying to figure our way through how we're going to do this.
3: <laughs> well, I mean, everybody is, right? I mean, we're having the yep. same issue with uh, with where I work, and it's just a kind of ongoing uh, figuring it all out. I wanted to ask, you you know, there's all this talk about the, whatever it means to open the government and open the economy, but I just don't understand how that, I mean, I know that, so I work for a healthcare uh, a, a organization that provides healthcare, and uh, our medical director, like a couple weeks before the state of Georgia um, sheltered, she looked at the at the data and she said, "Okay, nobody's coming to the office. Uh, only essential staff who are making sure that our health centers remain open. All administrative staff, all fundraising staff, everybody's working remotely." And I don't imagine that my boss is gonna when the president says, okay, everybody open up, that she's going to look at any data that says it's not safe and let us come back. So how, how do, I mean, it's not like the president can just say, okay, everybody go back to work. And certainly there's lawyers who are going to be like, oh no, that's too much risk. You, you know, we're going to, if people die, what are they, they're going to sue us. So how do you think that's going to, how does that, how does it, how is it going to work?
1: Well, that, that's a really good question. Um, and I, I hope the President and the people around him have given this a lot of thought. Um, I, I believe that it, everything should be driven by some metric or some data that's on this. The country, even when in two weeks when this, the president's thing expires, it's not going to reopen in the same way it was before all this, right? So it, it, in my view, it, it can, there can be geographic areas that don't have as stringent mitigation uh, as it was before. So one thing you could do is you could say, okay, we're going to still maintain the six-foot you know, um, distance between us. We're not going to have huge – we don't want any huge gatherings, so no gatherings over a certain number. We don't want have to, to have together. Sick people need to stay home. We need to isolate the ill. We need to protect the nursing homes. You can do all that without having, in some areas, strict stay at home orders. And so, and the, but the president, the problem with what the president is going to think, he doesn't control the strict stay at home orders in any sort of legal manner. He has some political weight in this because what he can do is he can say in these areas where the case level is low and it's dropped and it seems to be leveling off, that, you know, we can, you know, we can people can begin to go to work again. Now, it's obviously up, as you say, up to the employer how to handle that. But I think that if you want to think about a phasing in, I think we're going to be in some level of mitigation through this year, that's my guess, and maybe even, part next year, some level of mitigation on this. But it's going to ultimately, finally, be up to one, the employers, two, the governors, and two, three, the local community officials. I can tell you from my vantage point, that Texas, which we've managed to be go through this thing. I mean, it's been it's been um, uh, tra- tragedy. People have died. People have contracted the illness, but it's been not near as bad as what people thought. And so, we're actually have a lower number of of fatalities per million people than California does. We have one of the lowest in the country here. And I think the governor here, Governor Abbott. At some point next week or the week after, it's going to say, here's how I think or here's what I want. Here's my executive order to say, here's how businesses can start operating. And so it's going to be a jurisdiction by jurisdiction. This is going to be a big political fight. It's going to turn into a big political fight where governors, where, you know, certain governors are going to say, no, 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 no. And then there's going to be people in the state say, yes, 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 yes. And then there's going to be governors that open up and there's going to be people that say that shouldn't have happened. So it's going to be a big, big fight in this. But one thing I want people to understand is, and every time somebody I think says we need to figure out a process to open things up more in some way, people think you're automatically, you know, you're doing it for Wall Street or the rich. Well, the people that are suffering the most through this economy right now are not the rich and are not people on Wall Street. They're fine it's the people that live paycheck to paycheck, which is 50% of the country. And of the people that work paycheck to paycheck, I think the last number I saw is something like 80 or 85% of those people have no ability to do their job from home. So they have to go right. to work, whether it's work on a house or do something, go to a restaurant or whatever the thing happens to be, uh, do house clean, how, uh, uh, house cleaning or whatever, housekeeping or whatever. And so I hope, as this begins, the president is going to lay out a measured process for beginning to get back to a place where people don't have to stay at home. And I think that would be reasonable, um, geographic by geographic. But I think in the aftermath of this, one of the things we're going to figure out is in many places, in, in politicians overreacted and in many places, politicians underreacted. But we don't know that in this moment, right now, because we don't have all the data. Yeah, that that
3: sounds like the best solution. And we're not going to see large concerts and football games and baseball games and stuff
1: for a long time, I think.
3: <laughs> okay. That yeah, I the don't question. think. Um, no,
1: yeah, well, I, I, think I was going to add the NBA season, which was a thought they would begin, I think, in June. I don't I don't foresee the NBA season happening. Um, my guess is the first thing that will happen is some golf tournament um, because they can do that. They can televise that and do that with very little galleries or no galleries. That's probably yeah. the beginning of it um, is some golf tournament. Um, and then I, the fall season for football is still an open question.
3: Mm. Yeah. Okay. Thanks, Matthew. I'm going to pass it to Tim.
1: You're
0: welcome. Oh, I, you. I I, I got to admit, uh, Mr. Dowd, I, I, I grunted loudly when you mentioned college football season. I'm a season ticket holder for Georgia Tech, and uh, <laughs> wow, I've, I've been giving that a lot of thought. If this virus continues for a long period and traditional campaigning is simply not possible, what kind of presidential campaign would you foresee even happening?
1: Well, I think um, that's a great question. And I think, I think you know, uh, the best campaigns figure out how to be creative in the moment they're in, um, and, and that can be a new technology that they use or there's a new way of communicating or, or whatever the thing happens to be, a new place they think they're going to go. I think what you'll see is, less large gatherings of people and you're not going to, I don't think we're going to be shaking hands. My guess is the shaking hands thing is gone for five years. Uh, my, that, I, mm. I think we're probably, I think that idea of people shaking hands um, is going to be gone for a long time, even after things are lifted and all that. Cause I think people are just going to be reticent um, to do that, which is unfortunate, but I think that's, the, that's probably true. I think that if I were advising um, either one, Joe Biden or or uh, Donald Trump. Um, I would figure out a way to hold forums where you're talking in a sort of in depth way, covered by the media, on important things like this. Talking with experts talk on this issue, and then talking with experts on the economy, and then talking. And you basically have a, a, a an uplifted instead of these huge rah rah rallies with people screaming. It's much much more. Um, Uh, toned down and serious. I think that's where people are in their lives. And so if I were, I would figure out how to hold forums and things. I mean, to me, one of the best debates that happened was the debate between Joe Biden and Bernie Sanders where no audience existed. It seemed to Mm. be more serious. Um, Mm -hmm. And it seemed to get people to sort of take some of the emotions down and not try to speak to a crowd, but speak, speak to what's really going on. And so that's my guess. They're going to have to be creative. But if I were one of those two candidates, I'd be figuring out you know, really interesting forums um, without an audience where you gather experts around kind of how you would act as president in a moment and begin to see how they relate to that covered by the media.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: But, but yet this president, uh, his whole political persona
0: – has thrived on these large, raucous rallies covered by the media with 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 tens of thousands of people, whereas someone like Joe Biden might do better in a setting that you describe. Say, I don't know, if Oprah Winfrey was setting there interviewing, so wouldn't Joe Biden probably be a larger beneficiary of such an arrangement?
1: Uh, yes. He would because, as we've seen, the president's greatest strength is not an in-depth look at issues. Obviously, that's the most mm-hmm. diplomatic way to say <laughs> it. Um, mm-hmm. uh, and, I, um, and he has many strengths. The president has many strengths of things he can do. Um, but he, and he loves the crowd, and the crowd seems to feed him. My guess is the president is, gonna, is, is the president, and so he's going to go to places where he can get a crowd together. And a lot of his supporters will show up. He'll do that. But the problem with the, the problem for the president is those are most likely to be states that he is already going to carry. So give this mm-hmm. example. The governor of Wisconsin and the governor of Michigan are both Democrats and the governor of Pennsylvania are Democrats. He says he wants to hold a rally and they say no rally. Right. Mm-hmm. They're going to say, I'm sorry, no rallies. You can't have a gathering of more than 100 people or 200 people or whatever that is in the fall, which is very likely. And so he's going to not be able to. He, he the governor has a say over that. The president doesn't have the say over that. So there'll be that conflict that'll exist. So I, it, I my guess is the president thinks he can sort of just make an announcement and say this is what I'm going to do, and then everybody's going to go along. The problem is going to run straight into federalism.
2: Hmm.
0: Huh.
1: Good thought there. I'm going to ask you one
0: more national question and then I'm going to send it back to David who's going to close the segment by talking to you about some of our friends in the U.S. Senate Uh, Joe Biden (laughs) has gone on the record as saying he will choose a female as his running mate and I know you've had to give a lot of thought to this so who do you see uh, out there that you feel would help the ticket the
1: most so I'll. So the last time I was in the room giving advice on who pick candidates should pick, I advocated against Dick Cheney. Um, so that'll just, <laughs> <laughs> um, I, because I didn't think uh, I. I kind of knew the governor, governor then governor Bush here, and how well he got along with a former client of mine, who was a ten, mm-hmm. lieutenant governor here, was a Democrat, Bob Bullock, mm-hmm. and I thought he needed somebody that was moderate, somebody that was. Uh, And I also thought we had to carry Florida. I knew it. We knew I knew it a year out that we needed to carry Florida and Florida was going to be the key state. I didn't know what we'd be 30 days later after the fact. But um, (laughs) I I think picking a woman is a really good idea uh, since the majority of voters will be women and the majority of swing voters will be women. I think there's an Mm -hmm. expectation of it. I, Mm -hmm. I, I would if I were given that list, I would want somebody that has been vetted, that is not brand new. Um, that Mm -hmm. has been vetted before. That's why I think somebody like Kamala Harris, she ran for president. She gets along well with Joe Biden. She's an attorney Mm -hmm. general from a state which is actually a good asset in this. Amy Klobuchar is another person that's been vetted. But picking somebody out of the blue that seems to be, quote-unquote, a star, but that's never been vetted, a lot of times when you do that, picking a vice president, you end up with a whole bunch of problems that you didn't know about because that person Mm -hmm. has never been researched fully. And so I would mm-hmm. say a next-generation pal, somebody you know, younger than 60, um, a woman younger than 60 that's been vetted before is what I would say is the best map to go. Now, there's a number of those candidates, but one of the things he said besides a woman is he wants to be able to turn this thing over to the next generation of folks. That's why I think he's not going to pick somebody that's in his age bracket. He's going to go mm-hmm. for somebody that's in an age bracket under him.
0: Mm-hmm. So you, you would think, say, uh, a, 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 when you talk about someone in his age bracket, you would think maybe Elizabeth Warren wouldn't be possibly on the short list? I,
1: I, I, I don't – I mean I think she's probably on the list. I mean my view, I think she's probably on the list, but, the, but one, her age range doesn't fit in what I think, and two mm-hmm. is I, I don't see – there has to be a, an ability that they get along well. Um, and mm-hmm. That there, you feel like you feel like there's a, they're in sync, and I just don't, never have gotten that feel between Joe Biden and Elizabeth Warren.
0: Mm. Yeah, that's that's two of us. So, and I thank you for those answers, and I will send it back to David now. David.
2: Yes. Well, final
0: question, and one we had you had tweeted about, and we, we even said we we're going to ask
2: about it. Um, both of our senators here in Georgia. Uh, seemingly made some trades for stocks based on information at a um, briefing about pandemics and the coronavirus. Uh, Kelly Loeffler seems a little bit deeper into it than David Perdue, but we've gotten more information that he had some trades. And then Richard Burr from North Carolina also um, made trades. And then finally, somewhat related, Donald Trump keeps pu- uh, pushing this uh, chlorine based medication. We found out that he has financial interest in how do you think voters particularly voters in the middle that persuadable group are going to um judge folks that seemingly have benefited um financially from what's going on and kind of could have acted and ignored it um just for their
1: own financial good so first of all as you all know i think it's outrageous uh, it's just outrageous, and he just take to even take the idea that they went to a briefing and then somehow from a briefing stocks got traded. Just even take that out of the equation. I think that that any person that gets elected to office should not have an ability to trade stocks. So I think you either put your your portfolio in a blind trust that you have nothing, not a not a thing to say, and you can't even talk to the people that that work on the financial arrangements for it. So, either you put it in a blind trust or you get rid of it all. I don't think a stock trade should be allowed by anybody that's in public office or their children, or their children while they're in public office. Politically, I think your Senator Kelly Leffler, um, is that how you pronounce her name? Leffler? How do you, Leffler? Loffler, I believe. Loffler? Yeah, Loffler. I think she's history. I think she's history. Um, and I don't even think she makes it to the you know, runoff. Um, in this, uh, I, I think that it's. I'm so bad on her part, and her explanation has been so awful, um, and she's handled it so poorly, and the amount of money and the trades that were done are just almost self-evident of a problem. Um, I don't know about Senator Purdue. Uh, I think it's a problem. I think it's a problem for any senator because if it's or any Congressperson, uh, you know, if you talk about the swamp, that's just the most evident example of what people hate about the corruption that they feel like is in Washington, DC. So I think all stock trades should be banned and anybody that holds any, any investments either should go, it should go in a blind trust the day you're the day you enter office or you should have to have gotten rid of it. And I think that should include the president of the United States. Yes. I mean, it seems like even
2: if it was, you have to put it in a mutual fund that, um, is so varied across instead of just individual stocks. So then in her case, her husband um, has a pretty high position um, overseeing one of the stock exchanges. So um, yeah. that, that makes it yeah, even my, more complicated. My
1: guess, is, my guess is for her, that's information, and it's already seeped into Georgians. Georgians, And that they – I mean I think the Republican they're going to support today is Doug Collins, not her. So – That's my view. Yes. Well, um, Matthew, we sure do thank
2: you for coming on the show, and hopefully we get you maybe even one more time before the 2020 election in November. Um, We hope you stay safe, and I guess you're going to not be on the TV as much on um, ABC, but you're probably still writing and
1: tweeting and different things a lot. Tell the folks how they can read you. I still, do a, I still do a column every now and then, um, which you can get on my Twitter account, which is at Matthew J. Dowd, M-A-T-T-H-E-W-J-D-O-W-D, at Matthew J. Dowd. So if people want to follow me or check, that's where I post my columns, um, and they'll take them to a link on ABC News. I'll be on ABC Remote uh, when to do Good Morning America or even the Sunday show, but we're actually still figuring out how that works. So all of us, everybody out there is struggling with how to do this, how to live their daily life in this new normal, and uh, we'll get through this. But all I ask people is just have some compassion in this moment for people both that are scared about their health and people that are scared about their jobs. Yes, definitely so.
2: And, hey, tell the folks at ABC, if the cast of Saturday Night Live can figure it out, then y'all can for sure.
1: (laughs) Exactly. I 100% 100% agree, brother
2: All right, thanks again
1: <laughs> Thank you okay. Glad to be here, happy Easter, y'all All right Thank yes.
2: you.
0: Happy Easter to you thanks.
2: Matthew Dowd, um, you. just an excellent guest And I, Catherine, I felt like We were hearing some kind of insight On history, I don't know if you watch Ra- Race to the White House on CNN That talks about the old elections When he's talking about what happened in 2000 um, with With Planning that election um, I, I felt like I was getting insight on history. How about you?
3: Yeah, exactly. It was very interesting. He's a he's a wonderful guest. Yeah. I I really enjoy most, having him.
2: Most definitely. And just a little update. Um, keep Tim in your thoughts. The next little bit. Um, apparently, the bad weather is coming up a little mm-hmm. north of me, and Tim said he got to go uh, to stay safe. There's actually tornadoes in the area where he's uh- at. Okay. Uh, in Chattooga County, so uh, I think it's you and I for the rest of the show. Things are looking okay here. Um, it if, if I just it duck doesn't and sound cover, Catherine,
3: Catherine too bad here.
2: Yes, it doesn't, it doesn't look too bad here, me. but you know
3: I'm I'm in a big concrete building, so I think I'm safe. Hey,
2: you think that a big city? But do you remember just a, about a decade ago when the tornadoes came through and ripped uh, pieces of the Georgia Dome off?
3: Yeah, and it, I mean, it, it was, took all those windows, took all those windows off the, um, uh, what is that big Portman Hotel downtown? And it took them, uh, like 18 months to replace the windows because each window was custom made because they're on that they were yes. on that curve. Yeah, yeah.
2: I was in, I was downtown Atlanta. I was in Phillips Arena uh, watching a Hawks game the same night that that uh, happened. Um, and and wow. yeah, apparently it all went through During the game And Phillips has very few um, windows So it's a pretty safe arena to be in And it would all pass by the time the game was over um, I guess there was no sense Stopping the game Because they would leave and that would be a bigger problem Well let's get back to some yeah. politics And talking about big problems Got about maybe 10 minutes on this or Maybe less Wisconsin held an election And we talked about this last week How you know State Senate Republicans wanted to push this thing. There were thoughts they could have been trying to worry about the uh, presidential primary on the Democratic side. Bernie Sanders dropped out. That was a non-factor. It was all about this state Supreme Court seat, um, which apparently would make it either 4-3 Republicans slash conservatives or 5-2, which either way they'd have the majority. So I was kind of like that – it wasn't like the deciding vote, if you will – Um, But they wanted to push and have the election, Tony Evers, uh, the governor, he didn't want to have the election, although they didn't want to count any kind of absentee ballots, they they really um, were like it had to be in person, and of course, Milwaukee was the hardest hit, cutting down to five polling places, and you saw the, the footage, the lines were so long, I'm trying to think what I would stand in line to do. Um, They would, in a a coronavirus, standing in that line, I mean, I'd be like, now how many bills are you handing me? Um, You know, is my cash payment to stand in this line? Catherine, you saw the footage. What was your thoughts?
3: Well, I was outraged by it. Um, To close down so many polling places and then require in-person voting is, uh, I mean, that's – that's disenfranchisement if if you've i mean that's like there's no question that that's what that was about um and it makes it concerns me because depending on where we are in November and I mean we've got elections now now they've been postponed to June, but we don't know what's going what it's going to be like in june um it's just a big concern across the country about how we're going to have an election that is uh open enough for everyone to vote to be a- to be able to vote and um what it, you know how how the power in the various states what impact that has you know whether it's a red state or a, a republican governor or a democrat governor uh, and secretary of state and all that how that impacts out everyone's ability to vote in a, you know, reasonable way. I mean, I think I've waited in line for, I think I waited in line for like an hour in 2008. I was fortunate because I was uh, Andrew Young. So I got to hear some uh, great stories from Ambassador Young while I was waiting in line. That was nice. But um, I mean, I think, that that's probably the max. I mean, we shouldn't be expecting to wait more than an hour, and so I say th- I'm concerned about it. What do you think?
2: Yeah, it was just ridiculous that it went on. I mean, you kind of have a feeling. You're like, how many Supreme Court cases are they deciding right this second? I mean, if you put it off even a month, um, you know, because you get the idea that a lot of these dockets aren't you know some of them have kind of unless it's a case that's really pressing they're not deciding them so this is probably a situation where you could have pushed it out a little more but it was apparently this this uh court has a lot of power there's some things that they want uh done like uh, I guess remove maybe as many as 80,000 voters from the rolls but you have to wonder now this is a situation where yes not as many voters are persuadable as they used to be but how many mm, sort of you know lean Republican voters are there out there that see the you know state senate president in the um hazmat suit in the scrubs saying everything's safe everything's fine to vote when it's obviously not fine it seems like you expend some political capital and for you know every voter you put off the rolls, maybe you flip a, a voter. Or if you flip half as many voters a flip, you know, that counts for two. Um y- you could make no ground in that case, couldn't you, Catherine?
3: Yeah. Uh that's a good point. I Yeah. And just, besides
2: it just being shady and the wrong thing to do. <laughs> you know, right, trying to exactly. get them off that's the rolls the for no good reason. That's the
3: thing. I feel like I feel like they were like, oh This is our opportunity to take advantage. You know, we're going to take advantage of this um, crisis and get our Supreme Court uh, justice elected. And I I just feel like there's a lot of um, a lot of deception—not deception, but um, uh, just uh, strategic planning. Going on behind the scenes In that situation
2: Yeah and another thing Like I said apparently it wasn't even Flipping the court all the way Although you are talking about Supreme Court Justices this is like Imagine who would um, Function more judiciously Who would probably not try to game The rules as much of these two individuals Antonin Scalia Or Tom DeLay I mean, Catherine, which one of those two do you think would try to game the electoral system less? Oh, I don't
3: know. I'm not going to. I mean, I think it would be
2: Scalia. I'm not – I mean, you know, I think he's a very conservative person in his orientation, but being conservative about how you interpret certain things and just being kind of shady about how you function, that's kind of a time delay move, Um, and there's more folks like that now. And so, I don't think there's any guarantee that necessarily all these folks would, oh, we're just going to pitch people off the, you know, the rolls. That's just a totally different way to play the game. And I I would think that like uh, judiciary people see themselves a little more high minded and wouldn't, um, you know, operate that way anyway. But now you see this, and this, of course, became a national story. So now maybe it doesn't hurt you in just Wisconsin. It hurts you in a lot of other states because they see. How you function. So um, I think it's definitely a ne- negative. And here's the thing they might not win. If they don't win this seat and they did all these tricks, you might as well give up. Um, you know, Donald Trump winning uh, Wisconsin because that shows that Democratic enthusiasm is a lot higher than people thought. Um, well, I did mention something. I think we got to talk about it. Bernie Sanders dropped out of the race. Um, were you kind of surprised at the timing?
3: Um, it was sort of a strange. Um, I mean, I just think that it's really hard right now because all the news is completely absorbed with um coronavirus and the responses and and um all the press coverage and everything. So, there probably wasn't a good time, I, I wasn't a time that was going to be where it was going to get that much attention. I mean, it really wasn't even. Hardly acknowledged in the news I mean I got a text from my friend Like oh he dropped out But um I, I mean I think he must have Looked at the numbers and figured it out And of course he still hasn't Endorsed Biden has he I don't think he has
2: I, I think it's kind of a soft endorsement It's kind of an implied endorsement because um, he's talked about the work of defeating Donald Trump it's not like they're going to defeat Donald Trump with right ends of Donald Duck um
1: well, you know, So yeah,
2: that's, so that's you know, kind of implied. And I do think that the Wisconsin, what happened there uh, did impact because I think Paul said, well, you know, if, if this happens more places and people think they have to come out and vote for me, I don't want to send the wrong message. Because it was kind of like, you know, putting it in a football analogy, you know, he had to complete three Hail Marys, three on-side kicks, and a field goal inside of like 37 seconds. Um, you know, mathematically you might could drop the plan, but the odds of that are happening are a lot less than winning the you know, the giant mega millions twice. It, it just wasn't gonna happen. And so why have people go out and vote and risk their safety in your name? Because there could have been where if if let's say Bernie Sanders would have won that primary and we won't know till tomorrow, um, then somebody, you know, might say, Oh, well let's keep pushing this thing forward. Now Joe Biden won the Alaska um, caucus, I guess, and they've had a way to do that. I guess more safe. But if Bernie Sanders couldn't win Alaska, it looks like Joe Biden was going to go ahead and um, continue to push forward. And, you know, in other states that were more friendly to him than Alaska. Well, um, hope everybody out there, including Tim, stays safe uh, for the rest of the evening. Right, it's been the Kudzie Vine
3: Thanks, guys. Guys.
0: Hi, right, everybody.